Eric Girl. Hi, everybody. Hi, everyone. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Sarah. And this is Dead Time Stories. A weekly podcast where Sarah and I get together to talk about ghost stories, true crime, mysteries, cults, conspiracies, the supernatural, paranormal, or even just the generally weird, eerie, spooky, strange stuff that we want to talk about that week. Why is that, Sarah? That's because it's our show. And and not yours. If it's your first time listening to the podcast, stop. stop, Go go back back to the beginning. Start episode one. Grumble throat to my mouth a little bit. You know, follow the journey. Get to know us as people. Yeah, exactly. It's been a wild ride. We're glad you're here, assuming that you started from the beginning. If you didn't, we do still love you, but just know that um, we like to make fun of people. You know, like and you're, you're in that demographic. You know, it's like you're, we have a favorite child and it's not you. Oh, she went there. <laughs> it's not wrong, but like, so I wouldn't say it out loud. Hmm. Like but a we true definitely favor. mom. <laughs> you got it. Passive aggressive all the way. I will just get you two less birthday presents every year than your siblings that are the favorites. Ooh, dang. And then as you become an adult, I'll forget it. <laughs> Shots fired. <laughs> this is America. That's why we have shots fired. Yeah, right on our streets in Philadelphia. Yeah, man. Last night. Yeah, a lot. A lot, man. It's like you can't go anywhere. No. Like you can't. You just uh, can't go anywhere. And I was out performing last night a few blocks away from that. I had another friend who was out last night a few blocks away from it, too. And yeah, coming home, I was like, why are there all, there's all these police? What happened? Yeah. Hey, man. We're going to so, decompress. America is rough right now, y'all. When are we getting out the guillotines? I don't know. When- <laughs> When are we eating the rich? Everyone jumped straight from guillotines to assault rifles, and like we didn't get the memo, and they're doing it the wrong way. Yeah. I don't know. It's all crazy, but we're here to take your mind off of it for 45 minutes once a week. Is yeah. that enough time? While we talk about some other bullshit. While we talk about other stupid stuff that happened to other people, but a long time ago in history. Sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> Oof, yeah, sometimes. Sometimes we talk about what's going on now. Sometimes we talk about the world, where it is, who's doing what, what's happening. Where in the world is Carmen Sandiego? I don't know. She does not return my phone calls. <laughs> I think she might be, like, totally retired. Mm. Which, good for her. She took off the red hat. She's off the grid. Yeah. She's always off the grid, though. Be, that's kind yeah, of her deal. That's like her thing. That's like kind of her thing. Well, not off the grid, just being hard to find. But if she's off the grid, like she's, you know, I don't know. You'll I never don't know. find her. Where in the world? I really loved that computer game as a kid. I liked, I liked it a lot. So there was like a resurgence on Facebook a few years ago. I played that for a minute, mm. the the Facebook Carmen San Diego game. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there were like two shows when I was a kid. Oh yeah, definitely the there shows. There was the cartoon Carmen San Diego, and then there was like the game show, like Where in the World is Carmen San Diego. But yeah, then there was also the computer game. The computer game. Help me learn a lot of geography. You know. I liked it. I, you know what? I really enjoyed my um my educational but fun point and click computer games as a kid. Uh, not a point. Like, and I would click. play them again. Do you ever use a uh, Mavis Beacon? Oh hell yeah! I'm a killer typist, and I owe it all to Mavis Beacon. Mavis Beacon, that broad taught me how to type. Oh for sure. <laughs> I used to just spend time at home, and I like I owned it as a kid, and I would just sit in my room and practice. I loved it. Where were you when nine eleven happened? Do oh, you remember Mavis? Beacon? I was playing Mavis Beacon. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> Gen Z's like, who? <laughs> What's a Mavis Beacon? Girl, Mavis Beacon. 
Yeah. You should if you don't know how to type, get on it. Because that's embarrassing. Touch me. So easily. Because we're talking about memories all alone with the memories, you know, of my days in the sun. We do. What are we doing? A podcast. What is this life? I had a performance last night, like I said, a few blocks away from where there was a, you know, shooting. But where isn't there a shooting? shooting. (laughs) I mean. I hate it. I um, hate it. Right? I hate Uh, this. What was I getting at? Oh, I promoted our podcast. So if you heard me, Polly Wanda Cracker, singing last night, and then you looked up my podcast, thanks, man. Hi, welcome. Even if you busted through the part where we said to go back to the beginning, and you're still listening to this episode, let me know, man. But yeah, I was, uh, yeah, I had a show, and then they were like, what else do you do? And I was like, a podcast. Every week I can come to your ear holes. Come to your ear holes, baby. Talk about Always. whatever. Whatever I want. Whatever we want. Because it's our show. And I just, I'm like, what if we just want to rap? Not rap like like hip hop, like just rap. Like what if we just want to like sit and talk? Yeah. Hey, Stephanie. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Leslie. Y'all ready to talk about some ghosts? Y'all ready to talk about some ghosts? Uh, I apologize. Yeah, you do. Oh, Mitch and Leah, I hope y'all are okay. I hope you're doing well, man. It's a, you know, it's a wild ride out here. I occasionally keep up with them, but they don't always update on the regular. Because I get it. Life is hard. We always bring content to you, though, because we're better than everyone else. What everyone. I stand by it. We're not big enough for people to come at me for saying that yet. And that's okay. And that's, I don't, I don't know. I was going to say, and that's on God. That's on God. What is this episode? I don't know. Cause Won't he do it? Remember when I was like, let me pull this stuff up so that I uh, will do have not it have ready it when I'm going to talk. But no, I'm I'm ready now. Are you ready now? I am ready now. I was trying to think of how I wanted to introduce this topic. Okay. But then I I decided I'm not a good enough. I mean, I'm an actor. That's not true. But I'm not a good enough liar to to do what I was going to do. Try <laughs> to start it. the story. Just believe in it. Commit to the choice. No, I'm just going to go and talk about it. Uh, so I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, false memory and recovered memories. And you saw that I use quotation fingers. You yes. people listening to the podcast did, did not, not see that I use quotation fingers, but I did. Because we're going to talk a little bit about those because they're also going to set me up for, for future episodes for what I'm talking about. Oh, okay. okay, okay. So... I was gonna start by trying to implant a false memory. <laughs> I'd never fall for it. Just uh, kidding. I might. But right. It because the thing is with false memory, a lot of us have false memories over innocuous things and they don't really do anything. Like you can hear a story from somebody that you've heard a bunch of times to where it almost feels like you remember it because you were there because you've heard it so many times. Mm-hmm. Or memories that like we think we have as children, but Really, it's like our parents were like, that time that this happened, and you hear that story so many times that you feel like you remember it, yes. but you weren't really there. Yes. So I was thinking about doing it like, oh, do you remember it like starting with a real thing where it's like, do you remember that time that we went to um, The Rock on Main Street? Like we had the, like we had a nice little like lunch together with the margaritas. That is a real thing that happened. That's I'm not, not what that making... place is called. It's not called La Rock? No. Oh, what's it called? La Roca. Oh, La Roca. 
That wasn't see, the false memory already. part. That, see, I already, I'm the one that has a false memory. Um, but being like, you remember when we went there? And do you remember that the waitress said blah, 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 blah? Like starting with something that's like, yeah, yeah I remember when that happened. And you're like, uh, yeah, sure, I remember that. So people can have whole experiences that way where they're like, they recall this thing that like either they've heard it so many times or they've just kind of put the pieces together in such a way that they think that they remember it. But memory in general is very faulty. And it's also, it's difficult because memory is what we tend to believe people on the most when people are talking about like their experience, what happened to them. Uh, And, you know, I, we want to believe people. And in general, believe people, believe victims, believe women. But also, it's very strange how the brain, not because we want to believe bad things happen to us, but how the brain will fill in pieces of missing information, um, because that's just how the brain works. And sometimes the information that it pieces together can be really horrible, and we can believe that that happened because we see it so vividly in our head and those pieces make sense with what, what, what information we have that we're putting together. Um, but sometimes that can go awry in really terrible ways. Oh, mm. you're going to tell us about some of those times? Yes. Oh. <laughs> we're only touching on kind of the concept today. Okay. But it's to set up for a longer story that I have coming up, not in next week's episode. Okay. But... Next week's episode also helps set up for what I'm going to be talking about in about two weeks. Wow, what a long game. It is a long game. And I was trying to figure out how I wanted to tell that story because that story has so much in it. Uh, But it was these are really big concepts that you kind of have to have an understanding of before I get into that story because that is already going to be a two-part story. So I have like two things that are like related and then you're finally going to be like, what are we talking about? And it's like, okay, those were just set you up for what I'm talking about today. Oh, I'm excited. So everyone tune in for the next like four weeks. Yes. So false memory is a phenomenon where people recall things that did not happen or they remember them differently from the way that it actually happened. Suggestibility, activation and association information, uh, the incorporation of misinformation and source misattribution, Mm. which is just like you think you remembered it from this one thing, but you actually remembered it from like a movie that you saw. You thought you remembered it as a thing that happened to you, but it's actually a story that somebody told you that you, it's just been a while and you kind of thought it happened to you. Uh, All of these have been different mechanisms that can cause an underlying variety of false memories. So they can be caused by all kinds of things. They are very rarely like malicious. It's not usually like we don't want to believe that this horrible thing happened or whatever. And like I said, most false memories that people have are over relatively, like not big deal yeah. things like yeah. over little shit. We forget what we ate for breakfast and somebody can be like, do you remember we ate this for breakfast? And you're like, yeah, sure. Yeah. 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 I make sense. <laughs> yeah. That checks out. So originally it was initially studied by our favorite problematic father of psychology, which is Sigmund Freud. Buh. I know, <laughs> but he also is the person who came up with the concept of repressed memories as well. And a lot of times, Where false memory comes in, where it becomes a big problem and where people talk about it and where we're going to be talking about it as well, is when it becomes a problem because people are remembering traumatic things that didn't happen to them. Mm -hmm. But they will still react like they will get, you know, anxiety or PTSD like 
from believing that these things happened because the memory, the image in their head is so vivid, is so real for them. So with repressed memories, the the idea, right, is that something so traumatic happened to you that your brain just locked it away and you don't even remember it, right? Not to be confused with a memory that, one, either you've had your whole time, this thing happened to you, you've never forgotten about it, it's always there, right? Or not to be confused with something reminding you of something you forgot about. Um, that's not a repressed memory. When you like smell this candle and you're like, oh my gosh, this candle, this reminds me of this time I went to my grandma's house and we had this thing. Blah, blah, blah. That's not really a repressed memory. Because that was easier to unlock. Like it's it's just, it's there. It just needs to be. Well, because there was some sort of sensory unlocking of it. There was mm. like a, a direct, you know, in this sense, it's not necessarily a negative word, but a direct trigger where you had a sense memory where it's like, oh my gosh, I smelled this and it took me it took me back to this. I haven't thought about it in years this time that I went to this place and I smelled this thing. Uh, where false memories tend to come in, um, like I said, it has to do with like how um, suggestible the, the person is. And this can be like children are very, very susceptible to false memories, mm. uh, especially because they think that like they're, pleasing the person by saying what the person wants them to say or what yes. they're supposed to say. Okay. Uh, so children are very easy to uh, implant false memories. And we talked about source misattribution, like maybe you heard something somewhere and it for some reason just got stuck in your brain or you saw something and it stuck with you. But what has happened a lot that has brought out a lot of false memories is the idea of recovered memory therapy. Right. And so very well meaning, by the way, like no therapist that I would think of, right, is intending to implant a false memory. But we talked about the suggestibility and sometimes just the wording where people, uh, a therapist can lead a person to recover a false memory. Uh, so this used to be, it was like in the 80s that recovered memory therapy became like pretty popular. Now it's kind of like most people, most mental health professionals do not believe in recovered memory therapy mm -hmm. because just by doing it, you can implant false memories. Wow. Uh, so it's usually stuff like, you know, imagine a time when you were little using word, like leading words, like imagine a time when you were little. Like, can you see this happening? Oh, my gosh. I just saw my dad hitting me. Like, I don't remember that, but oh my God, like now I, now, now I, remember I remember it. Okay. Yes. Does that make sense? Yes. And especially when those memories are recovered, and I use quote fingers, when those memories are recovered by a therapist, there's this validity to them, right? Because a therapist is this trusted individual who's your doctor, your professional who listens to your problems and helps you, you know, figure out what you need. If somebody comes in and says, like, I've never been abused, I've never had that problem, right? And your therapist is like, well, you have the classic signs of a person who's been mm -hmm. sexually assaulted. Mm -hmm. Let's sit and talk about it. And you're like, that's never happened to me. Are you sure? Can you imagine a time when maybe you don't remember what happened? Like, mm -hmm. And they yeah. kind of lead to that. Yeah. So... Recovered memory therapy, uh, it's kind of a catch-all term, and it works for, not works, but it was used to work out, like, 
whatever your trauma is that you're keeping in your subconscious, you have these repressed memories that you don't even know are affecting you because you don't even remember that they happened to you. Cool. Keep them down then. (laughs) I don't need them if they're not affecting me. Bye-bye. So there was there was a book. God damn it. I'm trying to find the book. I had it open. And now again, Michelle Remembers. There we go. So Michelle Remembers is a book that came out in 1980 and it was co-written by Michelle Smith and her then psychiatrist, whose Mm. name was Lawrence Pazder. And he was practicing recovered memory therapy on Michelle. And through their therapy, quote unquote, um, they did hypnotism, which I don't know if I've talked much about hypnotism before. It fascinates me. But hypnotism is a state where a person would be very suggestible yeah very suggestible um so he would hypnotize her and then talk to her about Uh. her her childhood experiences and through this therapy basically it came out that michelle michelle alleged that she had been and i'm gonna be talking about stuff that's like really rough okay but michelle talked about being like sexually abused as a child um and a lot about satanic ritual abuse Hmm. so being like she said that her and like other children were sexually assaulted by like family members people who were in a satanic cult that there was this ritual abuse that they would hurt them they would make them do things with each other's blood they would like burn children and like all these things now all of these uh came out after like i said after she was going through like hypnotherapy regressed memory therapy with this doctor um and when she first started seeing him they were both married to other people oh no (laughs) yeah you get an idea of where this is gonna be going uh they were married to other people and she was unhappy but she said that she had never experienced any abuse nothing like that um but it wasn't until after these treatments with her doctor that she began to recover these memories and they wrote a book together after they published their book together they both divorced their spouses and married each other so that also speaks to you a little bit about how professional this therapist was yep however when this book came Mm -hmm. out it was a huge deal. Like people were really obsessed with this book and oh my God, the, someone think of the children and the horrible satanic ritual abuse that's happening to children right under our noses right here in America. It's too familiar. It's too familiar. It should be. It should be very familiar to you. Uh... Now, Pazder was a credentialed psychiatrist and a fellow of the Royal College of Physicians and Surgeons in Canada. And the book states that its source materials, which were their therapy tapes, were scrutinized. However, the accuracy of the allegations in Michelle Remembers was questioned soon after the book was published. After the book's publication, Pazder withdrew his assertion that it was the Church of Satan that abused Smith. They were talking about how the Church of Satan... First of all, the Church of Satan is older than the Christian church, and these rituals have been going on for thousands of years right under everybody's noses, and none of us know about it. That's how scandalous and how much they get away with. Of course. Uh, But 
Then they were sued for libel by the Church of Satan because the Church of Satan, which is a real church, also didn't start until 1966 is when it was founded. Yeah. And the allegations that Michelle is talking about happened in the 50s. Um, the things that she was saying happened to her. So he was like, okay. So it wasn't like Church of Satan trademark, but it was, you know, satanic people that were hurting Michelle and using her blood and and whatever. In October of 1980, an article came out in McLean's magazine where Paul Gresco interviewed Smith's father, uh, Michelle Smith's father, Jack Proby, who, of course, denied, denied any allegations against Smith and her mother, Virginia, who died in 1964, so well before these allegations ever came out. And he claimed he could refute all of the allegations made in the book. Gresco also noted that the book failed to make any mention of Smith's two sisters, uh, Cheryl and Tertia, or that Pazder and Smith had divorced their spouses and married each other. Mm-mm-mm. The book also fails to mention any police investigations or any attempt by Pazder to involve police in verifying any of the book's allegations. So regardless of the fact that, like, from the time that it came out, um, you know, there were critics of it, this book made a big splash and really was the catalyst for the 1980s satanic panic. Wow. Uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about satanic panic, but that's more of what we're talking about in the next episode. Ooh. But satanic panic was a big moral panic that happened here in the U.S., but also across um, Canada. It stretched to other places as well. Um, but satanic panic was a moral panic where basically the society kind of freaks out based on all different things that are going on in the culture. And this becomes this like vilified vision of what people are like, this is what's wrong with X, Y, and Z. Some other great examples of moral panic are like, um, I mean, with greater (laughs) consequences, uh, there's a lot of it with Catholics, uh, and it has a long history, a long anti-Semitic history specifically of, um, Christians attacking Jewish people and saying that Jewish people are cannibals and eat the eat our children and sacrifice Christian boys for whatever. The Salem witch trials are a great yep. example of moral panic where people just started being like, I, you know, I saw Goody Proctor with the devil. I saw this person do this thing they shouldn't have been doing. Everybody's yep. a witch. And all these people are going to be burned at the stake over nothing really than like just cultural bullshit. You're different. Yeah. Right. So some really important factors to satanic panic Uh, were this book because this book came out in 1980 and people were upset about it and the criticism of this book while it existed it did not do much to stop the popularity or the belief in this book people took it really really seriously and it really fueled the fire at that time Uh, and then there was a therapist that we're going to talk about a little bit uh, next week as well her name is barbara snow And Barbara Snow was a big therapist in Utah in the 80s and 90s that worked in recovering memories for people who experienced satanic ritual abuse. Oh, no. So that's what I'm going to talk about next week. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. Yay. Love it. Thank you. Yeah. Sarah, what are you talking about this week? Well, real fast before I jump into my story. Oh, yeah, that's right. I'm going to give a quick plug to another podcast that we've been listening to and we think you should go check them out 
So this is another podcast called Reverie True Crime. Check them out when you get a chance. I love it. Let's hear it. Reverie, the state of being pleasantly lost in one's thoughts, a daydream. But what if those daydreams turn to nightmares? Reverie True Crime shines a light on the dark tragedies that have happened and are continuing to happen all throughout the world. We interview and work with families to bring awareness to forms of injustice. We explore the depths of cases from around the world to include missing persons, mysteries, and more. Reverie True Crime is found wherever you're listening to this podcast. Remember, you don't have to live in fear, but stay aware of your surroundings. Stay safe and take care. I have to know where she's from. <laughs> it's going to make me crazy. Mississippi. All right. Aw. Okay, Southern True Crime Girl. Yeah. Yes, word. So go check out that podcast when you get a chance. Reverie True Crime. Reverie True Crime. I love it. Available on all platforms. Sarah, what are you talking about this week? I got a ghost story. I'm ready. I have a pretty fun one. I'm ready. I And while I was trying to do research on this, I didn't see a lot of other podcasts talking about this story. So hopefully people listen to ours and enjoy it. This is the story of the Stratford Knockings, okay. is what it's known as. Okay. This happened in Stratford, sure. Connecticut, in 1850. All right. Long time ago. March 10th, 1850. Reverend Eliakim Phelps and his family came home from church to find their house in shambles. Doors open. Windows open. Shit turned over. Drawers open. Shit on the floor. And all of that was unusual because the maid was gone. So Mr. Phelps, Eliakim himself, locked all the doors and windows and knew that they were closed when they left for church. So going into the house, the family looks around. Oh, my God, we've been burgled. <laughs> they're going through. They're turning things back, you know, right side up, trying to pick up things. All the windows are open. And as they go upstairs to look around, they open up one of the bedrooms. And on the bed in one of the bedrooms, they find a sheet. And on top of the sheet is Mrs. Phelps's nightgown laid out like someone was laying there, complete with two stockings at the foot of the nightgown to resemble feet. And the arms of the nightgown were folded across the chest as though in a funeral repose. Okay. That's what they said. Okay. And then I imagine they just... Okay. I imagine they just closed the door really slowly. Just like, okay. We'll do nothing to see here. So as they're looking around, they realize that none of their valuable belongings are missing. In fact, no belongings are missing whatsoever. Fearing that the burglar was in the house working on the job and then was spooked by the family coming home and jumped out one of the open windows, Reverend Phelps said, family, go back to the church. Stay there. That's safe. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to stay upstairs. I'm going to stake out and I'm going to have a gun and I'm going to see if they come back. So the family toddles off to church. He stays upstairs, stakes out, and he sits there and he waits and he waits and he waits. Nothing happens. No sound. No nothing. Okay. So he takes himself downstairs. I assume for a snack because I would get hungry. I'm hungry just listening to this story. Goes downstairs. Oh, same. Goes downstairs. 
And as he passes by the dining room, he looks in and he sees there's a crowd of women in there. And it's like 11 women all standing in different positions of kneeling, standing, and just bowing their head, all in various poses of prayer. Mm -hmm. And they seem to be gathered in a circle in the middle of the room, some of them holding Bibles. How the fuck did they get in there? He didn't hear them. I don't know. He didn't hear anybody come in. Because they're ghosts. Well, actually... He's the ghost. Because, <laughs> right? Is this, is like this the, the other Nicole Kidman movie? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I can't do that for I've seen it. I didn't know you'd already knew the twist. I think you already did it. I don't think I did. Did I? I think you did it. If you didn't, you talked about it on one of the episodes. Mm. I think I've read the Wikipedia for okay. it. I was like, I don't think I did. Did no. I? He's not the ghost. He's alive. Spoiler alert, that's the twist in the others. They right. think their house is haunted, but they're, they're actually the ghosts. The ghosts. Yeah. Oh, gotta hate it. That was a I thought it was that was a good was twist. A good twist. That was a good twist. That's not the twist. He's alive. He walks in. There's a whole group of women in there praying, but they're not women. They're dummies. Ew, no! That's the G's. Honestly, so much creepier to me than if they were just ghosts. Made out of the clothing no. from the family. No. Who got in there? That's horrifying. Who did it? Who did it? It's not going to be the last time it happens. I hate it. That's horrifying. That's really upsetting. It's the 1850s, too. Little do they know, that was just the beginning. Oh, no. For the next seven months, the Phelps family would be tormented by whatever was in their house. So let's meet the Phelps. Come on down. Ching, 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 ching. You got Daddy Phelps. Now, to let you know about this Phelps family, it is a blended family. Just call them the Brady Bunch of the 1850s. You got Daddy Phelps, Eliakim, the Reverend. He's an older man in his late 50s. Unfortunately, his first wife died, leading him, leaving him a widower. Thankfully enough, all his kids are grown by the time he meets his current wife. Never got her name. I looked through all this research. She was never called anything other than Mrs. Phelps. Don't know what her name was. He married her. She came with three children. Anna, who's 16 years old. Henry, who's 11. And then another daughter who is unnamed, just like her mother, who's age six. And then the two of them, Mrs. and Mr. Phelps, had another child, a three-year-old son, at the time of this activity. Okay. All right. 1850s blended family. Another thing to know about Reverend Phelps. It's the story of a man named Phelps. Who's a Presbyterian reverend. Of his own. <laughs> I'm trying to think of how to go next. Who was into the spiritualist movement. Like to hold seances. In his home. Exactly. <laughs> so he was a Presbyterian minister, but he was very openly interested in uh, mysticism and ultimately, which I think you've covered on the show, the spiritualist movement. Right. That was the thing back then. He was into it. You, which could, was... you could at the time like both Jesus and spirits. But people are, were a little wary yeah. of the fact that he liked both mm. and that he had a very young wife with three kids that weren't his and one that was. But that's the family. Now, they say that Mrs. Phelps didn't seem to like living in Stratford, Connecticut very much. Uh, she complained Shocking. about her neighbors, just wasn't happy to be there. And then her oldest daughter, Anna, was described as having a nervous disposition. Oof. 
So whatever that means. (laughs) Right. I'm like, I I get it. Now, after this activity happened on Sunday, Monday and beyond, the activity increased. Items began to move about the home. An umbrella dropped. This all happened in one day. An umbrella jumped in the air and traveled 25 feet. Forks, spoons, knives, books, pens would launch from their places and fly across the room when no one was near them. Pillows and sheets would get ripped off the bed. And then by the time night fell, everything quieted down because that was bedtime for the spirit. So after that night, then the morning started and the spirit was back on his bullshit again. Mrs. Phelps looked at Mr. Phelps and she said, call Ghostbusters. Uh, Except it wasn't Ghostbusters because it was the 1850s. She was like, call a priest. So he called in his friend, Reverend John Mitchell. And John Mitchell came in. He heard the story and he was like, it's your fucking kids, bro. It's your kids. They're playing tricks on you. It's your kids. So they took the kids out of the the house. And the shit still happened. And Reverend John Mitchell witnessed it happened. And from that moment on, he said, that's unexplainable, but I'm interested. And he stayed in the house with them and investigated. Then I saw that ghost. Now I'm a believer. What a fright. No doubt in my My mind. mind. I've been spooked. I'm a believer. That's exactly what happened. If we were making a screenplay of this story, that's the musical number would come in right there. Is it the Smash Mouth version? Absolutely. Of course. No question. March 14th, four days after the first dummy incident. During the morning meal, while the family's sitting around the table, a potato materializes in the middle of the air and drops right on the table. Now, I don't know if they were Irish, but if they were Irish, I would say that's that racist. racist. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. That's a racist ghost. What, what does he think it is? Christmas? <laughs> Throughout the rest of that day, Mr. and Mrs. Phelps, along with Reverend Mitchell, witnessed 46 different objects appear and drop out of the air, most of it being clothing from the upstairs closets. Now, answer me this. Who do you think took all that shit that came from upstairs and took it back upstairs and put it back where it belonged? Not the ghost. Mrs. Phelps did. She's like, God damn. 46 times I walked up and down those stairs. I know how many times. 46. I I closed my rings. I counted it. Now, the bullshittery continues through the rest of the haunting time, with many of people outside of the family witnessing this phenomena of shit falling out of the sky, shit moving, shit getting twisted around. No. (laughs) Don't get it twisted. Because the ghost already did it. Reverend Phelps kept the door open to skeptics. He was hospitable to reporters and even just curiosity seekers. He would let them all in to witness the disturbances, and there were a lot of skeptics. Both because they didn't believe him, bullshit, and they didn't take him seriously because of his interest in spiritualism. Not to mention, he married a much younger woman, and people just didn't like that back then. Age gap love. They weren't into it then. One person staunchly against both How of these. weird. So so few times in history where they weren't into men marrying much younger women. I think if it wasn't a reverend like a man of god it would have been a different story mm. i don't know or the fact that she had children from somebody else yeah that yeah. was also a weird thing for people one person who was staunchly against all of the above 
was Phelps's own grown-ass son named Austin. Okay. Not liking all the press that his father was getting because he was taking interviews. They was publishing articles in newspapers. That's how he got the call, the name, the Stratford Knockings is okay. because they would, we'll get into it a little bit, but they would communicate with the entity through knocking, knocking. and rapping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the papers were like, Stratford Knockings. Not liking the press his father was getting and certain that it was one of these bullshit step siblings of his causing all the ruckus, <laughs> he grabbed his uncle, Reverend Phelps's brother, and said, come on. We're going to go see this shit ourselves and prove them wrong. I'm tired of the Phelps's name deserves better. During the first night, the two of them experienced a really fun game of ding dong ditch with the entity where it would knock on the door. They'd go. There's no one there. They even posted up where one person was on one side of the door. The other person was on the other and they would hear the knocking on both sides. Second night. They heard the knocking coming from 16-year-old Anna's room. Bursting in, thinking they were going to catch the culprit in the act, knowing that it was her. They found her across the fucking room, tucked up into bed. Yeah, they did. Not hitting the door. The two men would then leave the house as believers. Activity just increases over time. The two men would then leave the house, have a smoke, cry, and then move and on. And never come back. Leave their children in the bedroom. The activity increases during the nighttime, they would hear knocking, rapping on the walls, voices, and screams. During the daytime, they'd have objects moving, flying about, silverware would be bent and twisted, papers would be scattered, and don't think we forgot about the dummies. The spirit didn't either. Those fuckers kept popping up all the time. They would just walk into a room, boom, dummy. One time... <laughs> The entity had set up a dummy wearing Mrs. Phelps's nightgown posed in the praying, like praying, kneeling position. And it was so realistic that the kids walked in the room. The youngest son went, shut up, mom's praying. But it was a dummy. I hate it. They also, uh, also said, wouldn't it be funny if he's like, shut up, mom's praying. And then the dummy's head fell off, traumatizing ah! the children forever. Ah! <laughs> But they even had a moment where the dummies would just pop up all over the place. They would leave a room. They would lock the door. They'd walk to the other room, grab a glass of water, walk back, unlock the door, open the room, party of dummies. Just dummies. And it. all That's made out of clothing awful. to the point where they're like, no human being could construct these this quickly. Like, it'd be one thing if it was one of them, if I left the room for half an hour and there was one effigy there. Okay, maybe one of the kids did it. But they would leave the room for 10 minutes, come back, and there would be 12. All made from clothing from the house. So zero waste, resourceful. <laughs> but dummies everywhere. Reduce, reuse, recycle. You know, got to respect that. Unfortunately, the activity then escalated to physical altercations with Anna, the 16-year-old, and Henry, the middle boy, I think he was 11, being the main targets. Henry, more so than Anna. Now, Anna, she would get slapped. She would get pinched. And at one point, while she was sleeping, the entity held a pillow down over her oh, head. God. She almost died. Yeah, she did. <laughs> they report seeing her just like sitting, having a conversation and then jerking her head back because she got fucking slapped. It's like big bitch slap Betsy and slick dick Rick. Yeah, it's just the like uh, that. bell witch. But Henry had it worse. He was slapped. He was pinched. And on one occasion... He was pelted with small stones that appeared out of nowhere. And his dad, stepdad, Reverend Phillips, watched it. 
He also would just get picked up and thrown around. Just like picked up and thrown around or moved around. One night at dinner, he's sitting there eating with his family. He was lifted from his chair and thrown across the room. A newspaper reported claiming to witness him picked up from his bed while he was sleeping and just thrown on the floor. <laughs> I'm just like, fuck this kid. Fuck this boy. One day, he vanished midday. They're looking around for him everywhere. They find him tied up in a tree with no recollection of how he got there. Another one, he's standing there with his parents and a clergyman, and suddenly it goes that he was burned to the point where his clothes were burned off of him. He was picked up and he was thrown into a nearby cistern. What? And his parents are just there like, this happens. It's normal. He's going through a phase. It's his changing body. Another day he vanished again, and they were like, check the trees. Oh, he's not in the trees. They found him in a closet. With a rope tied around his neck. Jesus Christ. Not hanging or anything, just a rope tied around his neck. He once again insisted that he had no I, recollection of how he got there. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. He was 11, so that's a little young to be, you know, playing with uh, asphyxiation. Sure. But it was 1850s. Maybe he was bored. But why? Why is this happening to this family? You might ask yourself. I am. I know. Theory number one. It's the ghost of the witch... Goody Bassett, who was hung. Why did you look at me like you were going to say Proctor? Because I thought it would be fun. <laughs> who was hung near the house. Like for- Proctor? <laughs> Goody Proctor? I saw Goody Proctor throw the child across the room. <laughs> the ghost of the witch Goody Bassett, who was hung near the house for witchcraft in 1651. Of course she was. But that's a very loose theory. Theory number two, which we've seen in other poltergeist E situations. The involuntary psychokinesis of one or more of a family member who's going through a distraught time, especially if they're going through puberty. Mm -hmm. So it could be Anna. The most distraught time. It could be Henry even doing it. It could be Mrs. Phelps because she hated being there. It could be an involuntary psychokinesis, which is a theory that people pose. Or number three, Reverend Phelps liked to hold seances. And on March 4th, he had a buddy come over for a sleepover, and they held a seance. Mm-hmm. And they were met with a spirit that respond a spirit that responded by knocking and rapping on the walls. Yeah, it did. They didn't think anything major of it. They went to bed, and then on March tenth, all the bullshit opened. So the most plausible theory is that Reverend Phelps invited held a seance and invited it into the house. Now, they were attempting to communicate with the spirit through the knocks and raps on the walls, and the communication advanced. One time, Mr. Phelps was in his office writing. He turned away from his desk, and when he turned back, the blank page was suddenly filled with writing, though it was intellig- unintelligible. I was like, what did he say? Unintelligible at that time, though the ink was still wet. Now, the spirit, having learned its alphabet and how to write, began leaving notes for everyone. Sometimes they would just appear out of thin air, like the potato. Sometimes it would appear out of thin air and it would say, don't you wish this was a potato? (laughs) (laughs) It was racist. (laughs) I made that last part up. I'm sorry. Sometimes it would show up in a locked box or in a locked room. Just a note saying, don't you wish I was a potato? None of it made any sense. And Mr. 
No, it didn't say, don't you wish I was a potato? It's like, I'm so confused. I thought that was a joke. It is. I kept it going for too long. To where I was like, is it is it not a joke? <laughs> Mr. Phelps would dispose of each of these letters, however, as he felt that they were uh, from an evil source. Desperate for answers, Reverend Phelps did what he had to do, and he held another seance. He was like, ugh, tie my arms, why don't you? Communication came easily this time with the spirit, and it claimed to be a soul in hell, enduring torment for his sins. Reverend Phelps asked the spirit what it wanted, and the spirit said, a piece of pumpkin pie. Reverend that Phelps, reasonable. thinking he certainly must have misunderstood, the spirit asked again, what do you want? And the spirit goes, I mean, on second thought, a glass of gin. A pie, bitch. He said a glass of gin. Mm-hmm. So Phelps was like, all right, fucker. What, he is asked, my subconscious? He asked the spirit why he was causing all of this disturbance around his house. And the spirit replied, for fun. To know. <laughs> Got him. The family was fed up. After seven months of torment, they did what every family in a haunted house really should do. And they moved out. For real. Get out. And they moved to Philadelphia. Yeah, they did. They came to Philadelphia, which is where Reverend Phelps had Phelps had been living before they moved to Stratford. Mm-hmm. So he had a summer home. So they decided that they were going to go and winter in Philadelphia, which honestly is awful. Don't do it. And then they would come back in the spring and summer to see if the activity slowed down. One night before they were set to move, Reverend Phelps was in his office when another ghost note appeared. This note asked when the family would be leaving. Frowny face. <laughs> I don't think so, but I wish. Reverend <laughs> didn't have a frowny face. No. God damn it. I wish it did. When when would you be leaving? Frowny, frowny face, face. Frowny face. Eggplant. Phelps wrote October 1st, and that is when the family left. Dr. Phelps stayed behind briefly for about a week or so later to put his affairs in order, and during that time, the house was completely silent. The Phelps stayed in Philly until the summer of 1851 when they returned to the home. But when they returned, it appeared as though their worst roommate ever had finally been oh. evicted. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's still, oh, no, okay, they came back, he's gone, okay. He'd finally been evicted. The family didn't experience any further activity and ultimately sold the home in 1859. Good for them. The house later became a nursing home in the 1940s, and in the 1970s, residents complained of hearing knocking sounds and being touched. And in 1974, the whole building burned to the ground. The end. Shady (laughs) Pines? That's it. In 1974, the whole building burned to the ground, so we will never know. No further investigations will be done. No idea what happened those seven months in the Phelps house in Stratford, Connecticut. But that's the story. Okay. Is that That ended so abruptly. Yeah, because they they left for Philly and the ghost was like, oh. I guess we're done here. I guess I'm done. Yeah. All right. Cool. Bye. And then left. That was it. See, well, and then speaking on... What we talked about, what I talked about previously with false memories, and I'm just like, I mean, maybe one of them imagined it, and then all of them felt like they. So while the activity it. was happening, there are newspaper articles because he was letting investigators and journalists come sure. in and look at the house. So there are newspaper articles. But whether all of this happened to this severity, no one knows. We don't know. This was the 1850s. 
the 1850s. Yeah, no. They didn't have the and internet. And they believed a lot of wild shit back then. Yeah, so who knows? Who's to say? And we'll never know because the house burned to the ground. We should have It sure did. It burned right down. Burned right down. When will the family be leaving? Sad face. Sad face. <laughs> Sad face. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. All right, man. Here it is. Bah, Here bah, bah. it is. Well, then come back next week because we, we got more stuff going on. I can't wait to like get to where all of this is leading, all of my setup. But I'm like excited. I said, you've got to have like the foundation. For That's what fantastic. Into it. Well, thank you so much for listening, everybody. You. And you should support us in all the ways that you can. You can support our Patreon. It's awesome. We're on there as, you know, patreon.com slash stories email us that's totally free uh but we love getting paid for our time but email us at deadtime stories with a z at gmail.com follow us on all of the social medias we are so close to we're a like thousand followers. followers yeah i was like away. we're less than 10 followers away from a thousand followers on it's instagram crazy. it's ridiculous oh my god so follow us on Instagram. Tell your friends to follow us. But, of course, as per usual, best way you can help us that doesn't cost you any money whatsoever is leave us a five-star yes, review please. on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Google Play, on SoundCloud, any places where you stream this podcast or download this podcast or however you listen to it. You know what I mean. Hit that five-star button. Hit that five-star button, girl. We really like it. It helps us a lot. You know, get in that Al Gore rhythm over here. It's real. Climate change is real. The algorithm is real. It's real. That's it, man. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Sarah. And this has been Dead Time Stories. Thank you for listening. Dead Time Stories is hosted by Sarah Heddens and Stephanie C. Curtison. Music and editing by Eric Gershnow. Artwork by Rennie Slackman. 